Hello, it's Friday 7th of January. I'm Hannah Pearson. Welcome to the first edition of 2022 as Gary Bowen and I kickstart the third year of the podcast. We can't quite believe it's the third year. And fingers crossed that it's a much more auspicious one than both 2020 and 2021. Let's get started. This is the Southeast Asia Travel Show. Hello, wherever you are in the world, and thanks for listening in. So as we prepare to enter the third year of living with COVID-19, numerous uncertainties exist everywhere. After a few shards of light in terms of travel activity in Southeast Asia during November 2021, most borders are now either closed again or very, very heavily patrolled. The same applies across much of Asia Pacific. So Hannah, as we start 2022, how do we start this podcast? Yeah, it's tricky, isn't it? Well, I mean, our last show, 2021, was on the 13th of December. And so much has happened, actually, between then and now. Um, unfortunately, none of it positive. Um, so we've decided to do a, a recap of what you might have missed over the year-end holidays and assess the state of play for travel and tourism in ASEAN in the first week of 2022. Yeah, and of course, the, the Chinese New Year, the Lunar New Year, the, the Year of the Tiger is also approaching less than a month away. But you know, that's looking like pretty much a washout for interregional travel again this year. So let's begin our roundup, Hannah, with the two countries that were at the forefront, really, of Southeast Asia's sort of on-hold reopening. Towards the end of last year, those were Singapore and Thailand. Should we start with Singapore? Yeah, let's start with Singapore. Um, so, of course, last year, Singapore made their splash, didn't they, with their vaccinated travel lanes, their VTLs. Then we saw Omicron start to hit the beginning of December, and Singapore... Well, okay, it's not that they lost their nerve, perhaps, but in typical Singaporean uh, calibrated fashion, they decided to slow down um, on that progress. So they announced that they were suspending any further ticket bookings for the VTLs from, I think it was the 20th of December to the 20th of January, um, about that, so uh, about a month or so, and that when things would reopen um, from the 21st of January, those previous quotas that had been increased uh, would be back down to 50% of that so that they could really um, kind of monitor what was going on. And not only that, but they also added more testing and for those travellers who could still enter under the VTL, because of course, they already had the ticket, you could still enter, um, which is pretty much a daily testing that they have to do uh, before they can go out and about every day for the first week that they're there, which, um, you know, the, the Singaporean authorities have said actually has been pretty successful in kind of capturing those positive cases. What, what else could they have done, really? I mean, I agree with you that I think the one thing that Singapore does have to its benefit that the other countries of the region don't have is that this VTL system can be scaled up and scaled down as necessary. You know, we'll come to Thailand in a minute, but Thailand is pretty much all or nothing. Uh, Singapore does have the ability to slow things down and then to to ease off the, the you know the, the pressure a little bit more in, in the new year should Omicron. Uh, not prove as, as devastating as I think most people in the region expect that it will be. Singapore has said that it's expecting up to 15,000 cases per day by next month. Uh, and its previous high was only 5,300 per day. And that was in late October. So, you know, everybody is, the, the, the stock phrase at the moment is bracing for the surge. And Singapore is no different to anybody else. I think an interesting thing is once it started to ease restrictions back in September, I guess, you know, Singapore had only had about 100,000 total cases between the start of the pandemic and the end of September 2021. But by the end of the year, in the last three months of the year, 
those numbers tripled. So it's facing a reality. Singapore has said it has to learn to live with COVID-19. It has to find a way to to reintegrate travel and, and certainly its airline industry into that situation. It's very difficult at the moment. Uh, as we've discussed so many times, Hannah, you know, you can reopen Singapore's borders, but when there is so little travel demand around the region, uh, it doesn't really offer much hope for, for generating more, more travel, more capacity. No, it doesn't. And um, it, I do feel like this 50% capacity will be ramped up pretty quickly. That's my my kind of gut feeling. Just from the, the things that the government have been coming out and saying how they're going to be treating Omicron this week and they're changing that if you have Omicron, you can do home quarantine instead of going into government facilities and things. You know, at a certain point, if it's already in the country, then you know, you, you've, you've got less to lose, I suppose, by letting other Omicron, possibly Omicron infected people in. I agree with you there. And I think I do think it will be scaled up when when the situation allows it to be. I think the Singapore government is also being quite transparent in terms of the way it's trying to turn tide um, on the actual statistics. I think it was around about 800, 813 new total cases yesterday. And it did say that, you know, around half of those are imported cases. So I think it is trying to prepare um, citizens for the fact that it is going to reopen and that imported cases will be a part of the future, this part of living with COVID. Um, it's just how how they manage that transition because it isn't going to be easy. It's a, it's a huge mindset for everybody. There is fear across the region about what Omicron could bring. I think that's definite. Singapore is moving ahead with its booster campaign. It has a very, very highly vaccinated population. But as we've seen around the world, you know, vaccination doesn't prevent you from actually contracting the virus. It's just whether, you know, it is actually going to be able to prevent hospitalizations and deaths. Yeah. So let's move to Thailand now. Um, and so Thailand, it was very much a similar kind of timing um, as Singapore, and they suspended their test and go scheme. And again, if you already had that Thailand pass application approved, you could still enter the country, but you couldn't have any new applications from 22nd of December until 4th of January. Now, today we're at 7th of January, and there still hasn't really been a definitive kind of extension in that deadline. So it is still suspended. I think the Thai government are meeting today to really decide on those next steps. Possibly we'll find out by the time this podcast is published this afternoon, I suppose, um, what the latest state of play is. But they are being extremely cautious, I think, with Bangkok. And you're right, Gary, you know, the, the difference here is when they cut it off, it's cut off completely, whereas VTLs, it is a bit more selective. They they could, in theory, pick and choose which countries they're going to reopen the VTLs to and scale those capacities as well, whereas the test and go, it's open or it's shut. It's having disastrous consequences on the tourism industry already, lots of cancellations. Um, tourism industry, understandably, is really upset about this. Yeah, of course, it's peak season, isn't it? And, you know, the, the, the peak season, the Christmas and the New Year, so as you said, a, a lot of cancellations. At the moment, I think the proposals are to continue the suspension to the 15th of January. Um, so that takes us through another week. But, you know, it, it seems potentially it will, be, it, it will be longer than that. The messaging coming out of Thailand at the moment is that, you know, this is going to be a, a, a serious situation with Omicron. The country has raised its alert level to four. That officially means that all incoming travellers should be quarantined upon arrival. So, you know, there is, there's not much leeway there to, to bring back test and go uh, in the immediate future. Thailand's media is also saying there are huge problems with the booster campaign. Then the numbers of cases, I think, have doubled 
already this month. They're up to about 7,500 per day now. It's going to go much, much higher than that. Thailand's situation is very, very different to Singapore's, I think, uh, in terms of its preparations planning and, of course, in terms of its government messaging. Uh, we're back to that situation where nobody really knows what's going to happen. The government is making some initial kind of pronouncements about what might happen, what might not happen, but it needs clarity. And, of course, for the travel industry, without that clarity, you're just going to see more and more cancellations through what is peak period and leading up, of course, to, to the Lunar New Year. Yeah, we, we're really going to see those two countries diverge. And I think this is going to be interesting, interesting from an academic point of view, not so interesting if you're, if you're one of the tourism stakeholders who's impacted by this, but definitely to see how Singapore and Thailand are going to handle this differently. And I think they will and how that will then play out and impact the tourism industry. Um, I, I think we will see throughout this quarter. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, those were the two countries that we mentioned at the start of the show, you know, that were kind of leading the way. There were three others that have sort of made moves as well. We'll talk about those next, Vietnam, Cambodia and Laos, the rest of the region. Um, at the moment, it's a pretty close shot. Um, so should we move on? Should we have a look at what's happening in Vietnam? Yeah, so Vietnam. So this is an interesting one again. Um, so from the 1st of January, they have now reopened to international commercial flights. Um only to certain select destinations. So uh, we're talking Japan, um, Taiwan, Cambodia, United States, um, and Singapore. And flights have started to arrive, but this still doesn't mean tourism. Tourism visas are still not being issued. You still have these uh, kind of Foucault, almost kind of sandbox schemes. They've opened up Ho Chi Minh City, I believe, now to international tourists as well. But it's it's very selective. You have to be on group tours. You have to be have it arranged by travel agents, it's not the kind of thing you can just book and arrive on. It's being very, very selective in how it does reopen to international tourists. But it's still great news that at least something finally have commercial flights flying internationally. And this is good news, particularly for returning um, overseas Vietnamese who will probably be returning for Tet, you know, for the Lunar New Year at the, the beginning of February. It's good, good in that respect. Yeah, I agree. I think one of the problems that is emerging in Vietnam, and this is this emerged in Singapore, in Thailand as well, uh, and in Malaysia as well, when some international flights are, are permitted once more, is that prices are just so high. You know, airlines can really set their figures, and they are setting their figures pretty high, and that precludes a lot of people from being able to travel. As you mentioned, there are a lot of overseas Vietnamese will certainly want to get back to the country for the Tet holidays. I guess that will depend on. A, the availability, how many flights will actually be, be coming back into the country and, and what the actual ticket prices will be. Absolutely. So let's move on to a neighbour of Vietnam then, so Cambodia. Um, so, of course, Cambodia reopened to international tourists in November, but it's been really pretty quiet. I think a lot of Cambodian tourism stakeholders are quite disappointed in, in the results so far because it has everything going for it. And it has very, very few restrictions. Um, it even lifted those restrictions on African travelers you know when, when omicron was first detected many countries had and still have these restrictions on african countries but cambodia did and then actually reversed that decision um so there's no limits on who can enter you just have to be fully vaccinated don't need to stick to a plan but the real problem is international flights and it was just looking a little bit promising from singapore you know they in the press towards the end of the year they were talking about how singapore airlines were starting to fly uh, to siem reap but now, of course, with the VTL postponed from Singapore, that potentially reduces that avenue. And I think Cambodia was also looking forward to having the land border between Thailand and Cambodia reopened, which was, of course, part of the test and go scheme. 
And of course, that's been suspended too. And I think that this really shows how uh, vulnerable these small countries like Cambodia, like Laos are on their bigger neighbours in Southeast Asia. And if those are not reopening or they suddenly suspend their plans, you're a little bit stuck. You, you can't necessarily get those tourists in and your plans are going to have to change accordingly too. Yeah, those two countries you mentioned there, specifically Cambodia and Laos, very, very vulnerable to, to China. There, there's no outbound travel from China. Uh, the huge markets for both those countries, as well as intra-regional travel. Yeah, we said this, we said this last year, didn't we, Hannah, many, many times, that opening up borders and accepting inbound travel. It's only really part of the puzzle. You know, international travel is three ways. It's inbound, it's outbound, and it's domestic. And if you're only really concentrating on one part of that puzzle, you're only really looking at inbound travel as well as domestic. To be fair to Cambodia, they are moving, and Laos as well, moving forward with their domestic travel programs. But you don't really allow outbound travel in much of the region. It's only really Singapore, I would say, at the moment, Malaysia too, perhaps, that have really pushed uh, or, or allowed outbound travel. In Malaysia, you still have to do a quarantine when you come back. But without that, you know, you just don't have the whole system. You don't have the system up and running. You don't have the demand. And Cambodia, though it's open, it would be great to go there and see, you know, some beautiful places without tourists, without the crowds. Uh, it just isn't going to happen because the airlines aren't going to put on the, the necessary flights because there simply isn't the demand. Absolutely. So we, we've talked about neighbours. We'll go to Laos now. And they, of course, had the great news that they were opening up from the 1st of January Again, it's quite limited. It's 31 countries, so it is not a free-for-all. They have to book via a travel agent. There's some debate whether it has to be group tours or it's actually more that you're you know, booked via a travel agent. Limited places that you can go to as well. But from what I have seen so far, I mean, it's only the 7th of January, but I haven't seen any big fanfare in the media there yet about this is our first group of tourists arriving. Um, so based on that, I've got a feeling that perhaps the uptake right now is a little bit slow. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think, again, the, the way that Laos has set this out, it had this sort of very structured plan for the first half of the year. So we're currently in the phase one, which is January through March. So there are limited numbers of countries that are eligible for travellers to arrive from. Uh, then phase two, which is April through June, there's, a, there's another tranche of countries that will come. And then phase three from July, I think it will be a little bit more liberal. Of, of, of course, this is obviously Omicron pending and what happens. But this phase one at the moment, I think some of the countries that it's open to, are, what Vietnam, Cambodia, Thailand, Malaysia, Singapore, China, South Korea, Japan, a few European countries, uh, the US, Canada and Australia, you know, there's just not much demand from those countries right now. And again, you know, you could say, well, is Laos choosing those countries specifically because A, they are normally uh, its key markets, or are they choosing those because actually they know that there won't be too much demand at the moment and they can open quite quietly? It's really, really hard to tell. But, you know, you just don't really see from those markets much, much movement in, in the near future. No, you're right. Whizzing over then to the Philippines. And of course, one of the big stories that happened just before Christmas was um, Typhoon Odette, which international named Typhoon Rai. Uh, they renamed the typhoon names in the Philippines. <laughs> not, not entirely sure why, but Typhoon Odette sounds nice, but it, it definitely wasn't. It had really a disastrous impact on the tourism industry. Um, so it hit many of the destinations that are typically very popular with tourists. So Cebu, places like Bohol, Shargao Island, which was just kind of picking up popularity as a surfing destination. You know, hundreds died, thousands displaced from their homes and just before Christmas as well. Um, so really going through the ringer in the Philippines, lots of airports suffered structural damage as well. 
and you know coming into the new year it's kind of even worse news isn't it gary yeah, it is. The, the government has said there's a national emergency. The, the numbers of cases have tripled in three days, running about 17,000 per day official cases, I think, yesterday. The, the government called this a galloping infection of, uh, driven by Omicron. It's battening down the hatches. You know, the, the, the president has made this crazy statement that non-vaccinated people who violate the stay-at-home order should be arrested. Uh, you know, it, it's really turning into quite a difficult situation across the country. As we have seen in previous surges, Philippines and Indonesia, because of their huge populations, their quite high urban densities as well, are very, very vulnerable to, to rapid surges in the number of infections. Philippines seems to be preparing itself for the fact that this one is going to get worse quite quickly, probably quicker than some of the other countries in the region. And that's really heartbreaking to see, as you say, on the back of a natural disaster that had at the end of the year. As we know, that actually had knock-on effects around the region as well. We had lots of rain and flooding here in Malaysia, which was the tail end of that typhoon. So for the Philippines, it looks like it's going back into another phase of a pretty much a difficult situation. And, you know, we wish it really well to, to, to come out of it. Let's hope that this surge is, is not too uh, prolonged. Um, but it does look at the moment as though it's going to be very, very difficult. Yeah, unfortunately. One to keep an eye on, I think. So let's move to our home country then, Malaysia. So Malaysia, of course, was impacted by the suspension of Singapore's VTL. We had the Malaysia-Singapore land and air VTLs that were just starting to take off. Uh, You know, we're starting to see all those lovely pictures of families being reunited who've been separated for for almost two years. And the kind of outbound news was that Umrah travel, um, so travel pilgrimage to Saudi Arabia, um, has been suspended for one month from 8th of January. Now, this in particular was just starting to pick up. So as Gary was, you were saying earlier, you know, outbound travel from Malaysia is permitted, although there has been, um, you need to undergo this home quarantine when you return. So it's not necessarily a, a massive volume of travellers who are travelling outbound, but there has been some, and certainly Umrah has been picking up. But the, the, the kind of reality that the, the health minister has been saying is that a huge percentage of the returning cases who are infected with Omicron are actually returning from Umrah Umra trips um, from Saudi Arabia. So from their point of view, it, it makes sense to and kind of suspend these tours. Now, where they have kind of earned the, the wrath from um, travel agents here is that the health minister did say that the travel agents will be able to refund this money back to the pilgrims. And of course, I think we all know listening that that is not necessarily an easy thing to do, right? Monies have been promised to other people. Will the Saudi Arabian suppliers give those refunds back? Will they postpone? It gets very complicated. So, you know, if you're an Umrah travel agent in Malaysia, you had no business for a long time, suddenly things were starting to pick up, you were starting to take bookings. And now this, you'd probably consider, oh, maybe I'll just give up for another year, just see how go how it goes later on in the year, wouldn't you? I, I, so much uncertainty. Yeah, so much uncertainty. The government seems to be preparing the country, as everywhere else in the region, for a huge surge. It's said that by, the, by March, uh, if actions aren't taken, then we could be seeing around 30,000 per day new infections. Uh, that would exceed the previous high, which I think was back in August last year, which was around about 25,000 per day. The impact of this will be, could be on domestic travel. Domestic travel was quite strong during uh, the Christmas and New Year season. I was up in Penang and, and Langkawi during that period. Uh, hotels were booked. They were fully booked. Uh, prices were high. 
uh, restaurants were full. Uh, there were a lot of people on the beaches. It, you know, it really was a busy time. People were traveling. But as we saw last year, this happened exactly the same uh, in Malaysia last year. And then we saw a surge in cases early in January. And then there was a lockdown and, and travel, domestic travel was, was suspended. And, and actually here in Malaysia, it was suspended for eight months. It's looking, if cases do start to rise, that Malaysia may take some action on domestic travel. We don't know to what degree that will happen. And we don't know if that will kick in before the Lunar New Year period holiday, which uh, at the moment, prices again are very, very high. Hotels have got quite good bookings already. The interesting thing about Langkawi is that Langkawi does have this international travel bubble in place. Um, I did meet a few international travelers in Langkawi during the holidays. Most of them, I'd have to say, were grandparents who were coming to see and their grandchildren from different countries from South Africa from mostly from Europe a few from the US and Canada there weren't huge numbers and most that I spoke to said that on the the transit flight that they took from Kuala Lumpur to Langkawi was was pretty much empty but there were a few travelers there uh, and that was obviously helping to to keep up the the hotel rates but yeah it's it's a very very low number on on the the bigger scheme of things and it doesn't look like that is going to be expanded in any way uh, at all Malaysia had said back in November that it was looking to reopen its borders no later than 1st of January. Uh, We are now on the 7th of January and the health minister has said this week that border patrol mechanisms are part of trying to contain or or to slow down the growth of Omicron. So we're not seeing anything new in Malaysia for the foreseeable future, I don't think, Hannah. No, no travel for us anytime soon internationally. On to Indonesia then. Um, And so for Indonesia, the it still amazes me, governments sometimes carry, that they haven't learned their lessons. Um, so Indonesia is a, a great example of uh, miscommunications, perhaps, if you can even call that, or flip-flop policies. That's probably a better way of calling it. Um, so on Sunday evening, the government there announced that there would be a 14-day quarantine for returning Indonesian travellers from countries that either have the Omicron Uh, locally transmitted or are neighbours of countries who uh, have an Omicron spread. But then on Monday, they completely changed their mind. And uh, they announced that there would be either a seven day or a 10 day quarantine for vaccinated travellers, depending on where they were coming from. So 10 days from Omicron hit countries. And I think I caught sight of a headline saying that those high risk countries now are just banned from entering. So this again is just really difficult to to navigate. I mean, of course, Bali in theory is open um, internationally. We have seen very, very few travellers there. But Indonesian outbound market has still been travelling um, despite all of these quarantines. And again, if you're an Indonesian travel agent and you're selling a package tour, you've been all over the shop this week. You've, you've gone from 14-day quarantine to maybe a seven days to maybe actually you're, you're not, you know, international travellers not allowed to, I don't know, things... Why can't governments just get their ducks in a row when they make these announcements, Gary? <laughs> As you said, no lessons seem to be to be learned. And we're still in this p- position where travellers, the industry, citizens really don't really know what's happening. I guess one, one kind of clarified situation we saw was in Brunei at the end of the year, uh, where it removed all countries from its green list and said mandatory self-isolation at approved hotels for all inbound travellers. That's pretty clear. And that's pretty clarified. It may change that in, in future. That was, I think that was announced on the 30th of December. Um, but Brunei, obviously, its inbound market is relatively small. But it did actually make this, this very, very clear statement. You know, you do wish that other governments would just be a little bit more clear as well. Yeah, a little bit more decisive.
And so the other, you know, that that's this whizzing through the main countries in, in Southeast Asia that we cover. The the one interesting point that all countries seem to be doing is speeding up their booster shots. So a lot of countries now have shortened that interval between the second dose um, and the booster shot. Um, a lot of them are allowing mixing and matching. Um, so perhaps your first dose is Sinovac. You can have Pfizer or AstraZeneca in many countries as the, the booster shot. Um, and we're also seeing this um, acceleration of vaccination for children as well. So some countries now are vaccinating children um, as young as five, um, like in Singapore. So it, there really is this urge now. I think now that many countries have crossed at least the kind of 40% fully vaccinated um, rate. And now they are seeing Omicron coming, speeding up, and they are really trying to race against time and get as much of their population vaccinated with booster shots as possible. Yeah, that's a good point. You mentioned Singapore, then Malaysia as well has just, just approved Pfizer for five to 11 year olds. The purpose of that obviously is to protect as much of the population as well. Do you think it's also to try and keep schools open so that you know we don't go back into this lockdown scenario? I mean, the worst case scenario for all countries in the region is going back into lockdowns for all reasons, not just economic, but you know, in terms of people's well-being, uh, their mental health, you know, all, the, all, the, all the problems that we saw last year and the year before. Countries really don't want to go back into lockdown. But you kind of wonder in some countries whether that's what we're being prepared for. What do you think, Anna? Yeah, it, it could well be. I mean, I, I think you make a good point about is it to keep schools open? And of course, you know, as a, a working parent myself who's gone through all of this, children having to stay at home, it's nearly impossible to get a fully working workforce, you know? So yes, parents are working at home, kids might be off school, but parents can't fully work from home if their kids are at home as well and they should be in school um so you know if you you really want to get your whole workforce back in action kids need to be in school um and so yeah this this could well be the the force behind trying to keep things open and you know of course it they could be places for natural clusters you know, mixing around and things, it's a lot harder to control kids than it is to control adults and tell them they will have to do social distancing. But it's it's still a strange one, you know, especially if you, you know, we, we were talking in December, I think, about the ethics of a, a booster dose. And again, you could say the same thing for pediatric vaccinations as well, just in terms of if your whole population, your whole adult population who are more vulnerable to this are still not fully vaccinated, but you're rolling it out to children ahead of them. It's hard to I don't know. It, it, it's hard to justify, I suppose. But, you know, I'm sure parents are grateful for it. Yeah, it's a really interesting situation. You made a good point. And we'll, we'll discuss this, I think, on a future podcast. I think it was the head of the research team that produced the Oxford AstraZeneca vaccine said, I think, this week that, you know, it's simply not going to be viable in future to be vaccinating people around the world every four to six months. Simply isn't going to be possible. So countries are going to have to make choices in future about how they prioritize their next level, the fourth vaccination or, or whatever, particularly in countries with larger populations. That's something I guess will be a big story this year. It's something we're, we're going to have to deal with, it, you know, whether new variants come along or not. It's pretty interesting, I think, Hannah, that we are right here now in January, the first week of January. And, you know, this podcast that we're talking about, much of the things could have been said exactly 12 months ago, except for the fact that we do have vaccinations. We were talking about lockdowns, we were talking about quarantines, we were talking about new variants, pretty similar. Uh, the context may have changed, but, you know, the actual substance hasn't changed a great deal, has it? 
No, it's a little bit depressing, and uh, I hope our, our listeners are bearing with us. But um, you know, that it is the most relevant thing to talk about in tourism right now, right? I don't think you can discuss uh, tourism in Southeast Asia without talking about the C word. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You can't really discuss anything in in, in any part of Asia Pacific at the moment without. Uh, without that. So I guess, Hannah, on that note, that brings us to the end of our first podcast of 2022. We hope you enjoyed the show and don't forget to send us your thoughts on anything that we discussed or anything that we missed out. Drop us a message on our LinkedIn page at the Southeast Asia Travel Show. Meanwhile, you can catch up with the Southeast Asia Travel Show's full 2020 and 2021 back catalogue on our website, www.theseasiatravelshow.com. And you can listen to every episode including this one, on all the various international podcast platforms. Again, just search for the Southeast Asia Travel Show. So that's a wrap for today, but we'll be back next week with our annual wish list show, which is called 22 for 2022. And we're hoping to get some feedback as well, aren't we, Hannah? Yeah, absolutely. Um, So let us know, email us, tweet at us, message us on LinkedIn. What are your hopes for 2022? Other than, of course, that tourism picks up what do you specifically want to see i mean last year i think we were talking about we wished that governments would stop target setting that's definitely not happened has it what else did we wish for i think we wanted more sustainable tourism less greenwashing hit us with them and and we'd love to include them in the show next week yeah absolutely we look forward to seeing you there